Hi, everyone. This is Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio. I'm, of course, here with my lovely co-host, Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hey, Joe. Hey, birthday boy. That's me. I'll tell you. You know, I told you I'm, I'm hurtling toward 50. Not quite close. Gracefully. But, yeah, gracefully. Yeah, more so. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, as someone said to me yesterday, I'm aging like last week's newspaper. You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> Was that a compliment? I, I, I don't. Know, I don't even know what I, that means. But that's yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So I think they, they mean I'm getting yellow and oh, of, got it. Okay, you wrinkled know what I mean? and some wrinkled and stuff like that. So, so but the good news is, is we have youthful enthusiasm here today because <laughs> we have Rachel Armbruster, who's an executive nonprofit strategist, and more importantly the uh, the author of a great book on the Live Strong wristband campaign called Banding Together for a Cause. Hey, Rachel, how you doing? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. That's good. So, Rachel, I mean, how do I sound to you? I mean, I, I don't sound like a guy who's 45 years old. <laughs> no, not a day over... Oh, no. no, 30. I'm going to go yeah. 30. That's always a safe like bet. That. If anyone asks you how old you look, always say 30. That's what, that's what I'm saying. It's like 29 forever. You know, that's what I'm kind of, that's what I'm kind of uh, going for anyway. So. But, you know, um, it, what's exciting about Rachel is I knew Rachel. Rachel, you must have been at Live Strong at the time I talked to you uh, when I yeah. first met you several years ago at Cause Marketing Forum. Absolutely. I think that was probably about 10 years ago now, um, almost 10 it years is, ago, maybe nine years Moses. ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, so it was, it was that long ago. And uh, and you and I chatted about the campaign. And of course, after that, you went out on your own, set up your own shop and business and stuff like that and wrote the book. Why don't you start today, Rachel, by telling us a little bit about uh, the book and what it's all about? Absolutely. It seemed like every time I was, I had an opportunity to talk to other nonprofit uh, executives or fundraisers or uh, folks from companies like Nike, they were asking me, how did you do the band campaign? What, what tied into that? Um, what led up to that? And so I felt like there was an opportunity for people to learn from our um, from our experience. And so I really documented all of that. I talked through all of the strategy and kind of what led up to the creation of the wristband and then really what happened afterwards and some of the things that I would do over again and some of the things that I would do differently. And my hope is that, uh, you know, it raised millions of dollars for Livestrong for cancer community. My hope is that other organizations that are working on behalf of other causes can take those lessons and put them to use for their own passions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because we're having this conversation kind of uh, post-Lance Armstrong because of everything that's kind of happened with the Tour de France and, of course, him giving up his, his fight against the people that he says have been persecuting him. What do you think is kind of the long-term impact of Lance Armstrong on the Livestrong uh, Foundation? I think Lance has done a great job of um, really focusing his time and attention on the cancer survivorship community and his family. And mm -hmm. I think what has happened, what I have seen happen over the last few months with everything that's been going on is that the people that believe in Lance and that believe in the symbol of hope that Livestrong represents, 
Mm-hmm. This has almost made their commitment stronger. This has mm-hmm. been kind of a, you can't be in the middle anymore. You kind of have to say I'm either with or against. And luckily, they have more with than against. And so they've actually seen an increase in their donations in the last couple of months, just people showing their support and their love through mm-hmm. social media, et cetera. And I think, mm-hmm. um, I think Lance gets energized by that. He loves hearing the stories. He loves knowing that he's making a difference. And I think between he and Doug Ullman, their CEO, they're a fantastic team, and they get a mm-hmm. lot done. And as a daughter of a cancer survivor, I still continue to be loyal to the organization and to what Lance is trying to do, and I appreciate the time he spends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's millions of people like me out there. You know, I think it's interesting with Lance, too, is it's kind of like it, it's kind of like astrology. You know, 50% of people are always going to believe it's true. You know what I mean? And I, I think there are always going to be one and two people out there who believe that Lance Armstrong didn't do anything and he is persecuted and stuff like that. And, you know, that's not a bad way to to head into troubled waters with 50 percent of the people out there uh, that got your back. And uh, so right. I think people in so many ways are so supportive of uh of lance that he does have that great coalition but in the same breath too and this is what i told the reporter when people called me on it uh rachel was look you know live strong is its own thing now and in it i think live strong has enough separation from lance armstrong that people you know don't associate everything with him you know what i mean and and connect the two organizations which i guess is very different from coleman where you feel like uh nancy brinka there is very much uh still connected to the organization and running the show and and some people have trouble with that i think so i I actually discussed this a little bit in the book kind of the evolution of our brand from the Lance Armstrong Foundation when we had a cyclist as our logo and that was the name we were going by. And then now really the organization um, putting the Livestrong brand out there um, in the forefront. And I think they have done a great job of really building a lot of direct services. So the patient navigation center that they have open now, they're helping thousands of people get insurance and work Mm -hmm. rights and treatment. And so now I think the story is less about what Lance did or didn't do off the bike, et cetera, or what he's going to do next. And it's more about how many people are they helping every single day. And they, they have their own, like you said, they have their own metrics and things to kind of point to to say, look, we're busy. We've got work to do. Yeah. You all can talk about this, but we've got people to save. Yeah. Um, and and so, so isn't it interesting, though, that with Coleman, that's not the case? That people don't look at Coleman and say, hey, you got things to do. You got you got people to save and stuff like that. That there's this continued focus on uh, Coleman and the leadership and, and some of the things that have come out out there that, that people are still uh, quite angry with them. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate. I think at the end of the day, you know, you look at all of these organizations are started because someone or a group of people has best intentions and they are trying to do something to make a difference in the world. And sometimes, you know, they get sidetracked or, um, you know, people get focused on one aspect of them. But if you really look at the overall impact that they've had, whether it's on the breast cancer community with Komen or other groups, um, at the end of the day, they're taking action and there's going to be missteps. I mean, you don't know, you know, you can't succeed unless you're trying things and sometimes you're going to have to fail along the way. Um, and so I think whether it's Coleman or, or the Lance Armstrong Foundation, they're doing the best that they can, you mm-hmm. know? 
Well, and it's, it is quite a contrast and I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because that was the first thing that popped into my mind. It's just how different it is to see Mm -hmm. what's happening with Lance Armstrong and what's happened with Komen. But I want to circle back on the book a little bit, Rachel, and I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners what, what are some of the top lessons that you try to impart in the book? And I don't want you to give away, you know, all the, all of the secrets, but can you give, can you give us a little glimpse? Sure. I think the, the, the book really starts out, the first chapter talks a lot about time, this idea of importance of time, a willingness to devote time, um, and really starting out with paying the picture. The Nike relationship, when I joined the Lance Armstrong Foundation in 2000, it was, you know, they were giving us 100 watches for our top fundraisers every year. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the relationship with mm-hmm. them. So it wasn't until, you know, four years later that they – I think had such an intimate knowledge of our cancer survivorship community of Lance, of what he symbolized for people of what the LAF was doing, that they were able to kind of help bring together that idea of the power of the color yellow. How do we give a piece of that empowerment and hope to everyone in the world? And that to me is most important. I think, you know, when I'm speaking to a lot of nonprofit groups, it's, well, we want a wristband, we need a Nike. And it's, okay, well, who are you working with right now that's maybe only giving you $500, maybe only giving you 50 pieces of product or some pro bono services that could be your um, Nike relationship down the road? And what are you doing to make sure that they get to know you and how are you communicating with them? And so I think time is is definitely a big piece of it. I think the other piece is infrastructure. You know, it took us that four years for um, the organization to really get to a place where we could even handle a concept or an execution of a program like the size of the wristband. And so I think there was a little bit of relationship growth and growth for the organization at the same time to just be ready for something like that. You know, we had started to work on an e-commerce program that was launching that same year. Um, And so being uh, visionary and trying to think through what what's next for us so always doing that uh, future planning and then i think the other thing that i would recommend for everyone is uh, scenario planning i don't know if you guys remember that commercial where there was a you know new company and they published their website and they were hoping for some orders and they're sitting there seeing the ticker go and it's you know here's four here's a hundred and all of a sudden it gets up to 10,000 yeah. orders and everybody starts <laughs> to panic. Well, that's a little bit of, you know, we thought, okay, our focus was really on how do we distribute 5 million wristbands? How do we sell 5 million mm. wristbands? And we didn't really spend enough time thinking about what if, what if we mm. sell 20 million wristbands? What does that do to the organization? What does that do to our services and programs? What does that do to, you know, our endowments or any of the things that we really needed to be thinking about sooner rather than later. And so I would encourage everyone to be thinking, you know, do the best worst case scenario and make sure that you're really thinking as big as possible and that you're preparing for that scenario or at least have talked through those options. So those are just a few of the things that um, you find in the book. And then I also talk a little bit about just relationship building and how to give partners that exposure to your nonprofit and being transparent and asking for help and that kind of thing. So I want to back up to something that you said, Rachel, because we at the Cause Marketing Forum hear this 
all the time. You were talking about that p- that place that you are as Nike's donating the watches to you. You know that that weird gray place between that and the wriststrong the Livestrong wristband campaign. So so many nonprofits say well, we just don't have the staff. We don't have the resources. We can't land one of those big clients. All of our clients are really small. And and I think that's a really critical place that you're at as a nonprofit organization when you have some corporate supporters, but you can't ever see it getting bigger. Like, how do you talk to nonprofits? Is it a mindset issue? Is it really prioritizing these corporate partnerships over other things? I mean, what is it that can kind of help you start to make those, take those baby steps towards those bigger campaigns? I mean, maybe it's not Nike, but maybe, you know, donating watches is is a pretty small involvement on a corporate partner level. I mean, how do you talk people through that transition? I think number one, it has to be uh, a focus on relationships. So when you're looking from a fundraiser standpoint, you're saying, okay, which relationships can I leverage that are going to benefit the people that we're trying to represent and trying to serve? So when when I start looking at the people that I spend the most time on the phone with or the people that I spend time visiting, I don't necessarily always distinguish between this is a corporate partner, this is a major donor opportunity, Mm -hmm. this is an annual fund gift. I really look at the people, um, the the person themselves, and what is the opportunity for them to get involved and to help me make a change. And Mm -hmm. so when you looked at someone like Scott McCachron at Nike and you said, you know he's got his heart in the right place, he's personally been affected by this, he has the ear of the executives at Nike, he's someone that if he gets us, he can help. And so spending time with him, finding opportunities and touch points throughout the year. And I think sometimes people feel like they have to create a whole new calendar, a whole new summit or other activities. It's really about just inviting them in, you know, kind of opening the doors, showing them all the good and the bad and kind of saying, I need a, I need help. I need mm-hmm. partners. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with the major donors, you know, not just looking for a major gift, but looking for smart money. You know, mm-hmm. we need people that are going to give us a gift but that are also going to give us advice along the way and so i think you do have to make it a priority i think sometimes people think we need 500 prospects on our corporate donor list when in reality they need to be filtering that they need to have um, selection criteria that's been discussed internally and with their board and any advisors and then they need to focus on um, depending on their staff, you know, five to 10 mm-hmm. relationships per person and really developing those. Mm-hmm. But I think it's baby steps. I have a client the other day, I, they gave me a list and I said, you need to stop and say three prospects per level and make yeah. that happen and and go from there. So I think it is yeah. just taking it into bite size. You know, it's, it's Rachel, so, so important too, what you're saying is in so many instances, I think nonprofits are really good at asking, but they don't know what motivates people to say yes you know and i think that's the thing that so many nonprofits. and what i like about your advice though is like you really kind of break it down in the book for uh nonprofits and how they can really engage in this program because you know i have to say you know a few years ago i saw scott speak um at cause marketing forum and Mm -hmm. you know when he was up there i think talking about what was it called the chalk bot you know that the youth in the tour front yeah everybody loved the chalk bot yeah i know you know he's talking about and he's like you know, somehow 
you know, some, and I was sitting with um, uh, Chris Noble from uh, Cause Media, who we've had on the show before. And, you know, we were sitting in the back listening to Scott. And it was fascinating. But he, it was kind of like, hey, somehow with uh, with uh, you know, the Nike brand, um, Lance Armstrong <laughs> and a $5 million budget, we made it work. You know, it's like. No shit, you made it you know what I mean? Like you know, uh, you know. I mean, you could just do it when you're Nike. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, right. You know what's kind of like the you know the larger lessons here, or the or, or, you know, let's break this down a little bit and see how uh, nonprofits can kind of do something like this. You know what I mean? Because I can guarantee if the local hospital I was working for at the time had uh, had had bought a chalk bot, <laughs> <laughs> which of course was the overriding message I came back from his presentation was <laughs> I really need to buy my own chocolate so I can describe the streets of Boston you know, like uh, with uh, with messages you know and uh, but I think that's what's so good about is your book is that you look at it from a real practical perspective and and break it down and like see where the opportunities are and and what people really need to do yeah, I think it's important to provide, I mean, everyone can stand up in an hour presentation and say, you know, look what we did in, you know, six years, and it was amazing. But I think it really, the devil's in the details, and I think giving people tactical steps that they can take and making it feel like it's actionable, yeah. and it's not just so outside of their realm of possibilities. I think, too, I talk a lot in the book just about that's what worked for us. Yeah. Um, and I know you guys are big proponents of this, too. You can't just take what other people are doing and replicate it and hope to have the same results. No. There was an authenticity in the the idea of the color yellow, in the wristband itself, in the relationship, that that's what helped make it work. And so I think a lot of times organizations need to spend some time getting to know themselves, getting to know the people that they represent, and figure out what assets do they have that they can leverage? It might not yep. be corporate partnerships, or it might be those, but it might be on a much smaller level, but at a different industry that you're pulling yep. from. So I'm, there's yep. a there's a completely different way to look at it. And um, you know, we were an office of three at the time when I started, and uh, we grew and obviously had a lot going on. But I think when I hear people say, "Well, we only have ten people on staff. How are we going to do this?" Right. I know it's possible because we did it. So. Yep. Um, I think it's all a matter of, you know, where you want to spend your time and how you want to have an impact. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think I, I you know, I, I think I just think it's so interesting, too, because I do think that the average nonprofit, there is something to learn from celebrity brands like Live Strong, like Product Red, like St. Jude that have strong celebrity backing to them. And, you know, and if no other message permeates through, it's the importance of building your brand as an organization. And you may not be as big as Livestrong. You may never be as big as Product Red. But that doesn't mean you can't have a better brand that emotionally connects with people. Absolutely. Yeah, which is really important. Rachel, we always like to ask people. <laughs> this is one of our favorite <clears throat> questions. So let's ask you. What are the things that you're seeing in the marketplace today for, for cause campaigns, and maybe they're not even your clients, um, that you sort of just cringe at and you say, oh, I just wish they knew X or don't they see Y? What are you seeing out there today that, that makes your skin crawl just a little bit? I think the thing that I get sad, I think it doesn't make my skin crawl, but makes me sad are missed opportunities for full integration and that sounds like a total consultant line, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I see a company that's trying to do, do good work, 
and cited every time they get a referral. This is an example I heard just this week. Every time they get a referral, they have agreed to send 150 donation to uh, the local food bank. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is no one knows that the donation actually gets made except for the person, the new client. The um, food bank doesn't really have a an idea of what the total gift amount is going to be for the year, mm -hmm. so they can't plan around it. Mm -hmm. And there's really no extension of it. It's not promoted anywhere. So you start thinking about, you know, what if, what if in addition to that, then they sent out, um, you know, recyclable uh, grocery bags with the food bank logo and, uh, you know, facts about the issues in our community and encourage the people that were the new clients to do something or to start a fundraiser of their own or issued some kind of a challenge challenge message or just really thinking through, you know, I see people get a quick start and it's almost like they they don't think about what's the long-term plan for this, what's the evolution of the campaign, mm -hmm. uh, what's our, you know, what's our commitment to this over the next few years so that when they think about their total impact, um, you know, what their goal is. And so I guess I just, I cringe when I see great kernels of ideas that mm -hmm. I feel like are not fully developed. And mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I feel like because of that, they have a shorter shelf life. And so mm -hmm. then they tend to go away when it's like, ooh, it was a good one, but you just didn't get, didn't take it over the finish line there. Right. Yeah, um, right. And so right. that would be a recommendation that I would have. Yeah. No, that's that's frustrating, you know. Hey, so let me ask you a question, Rachel. You know Doug Ullman, right? I mean, you mm -hmm. know him well, I imagine, you know. Yeah. And stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I have tried to follow this guy several times on Twitter, but I find him so incredibly boring. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, this guy has over a million followers. And I'm looking at his tweet board right now. And uh, his first two tweets, his first one is, good early workout, done, have a great day. Okay. And then and You're the just other one jealous is, about that and, one, Joe. And, and, and this one is, just watch Zero Dreams of Sushi and love the lifelong lessons in the film. <laughs> you know, like, maybe he needs I mean, you as a Twitter coach in there somewhere can we there's send some, some can, we, in there can we send an intervention team in or something you know what I mean like you know so, uh, so that's actually looking through his stream though it does look a lot there's a lot of great stuff on here he's retweet obviously retweeting a lot of stuff around cancer and stuff like that but I've been on Twitter for you know five six years when I first got yeah, on long I was time. like and I was like, wow, you know, gee, Doug, you know, that's great. You had a great sandwich, you know. And um, <laughs> but, you know, so I wanted to try to get the inside scoop from you. I uh, I think Doug does a fantastic job, um, which I wish more executives, both for profit and nonprofit would do this. He makes himself very approachable and personal. And yep. I think he is willing to share his entire life. Um, with the people that he serves, which is the right. cancer community. And so I think, you know, whether it's talking about taking his daughter for a walk or it's talking about, you know, struggling through a workout or it, it is something amazing that he learned on an, you know, a, an international cancer trip. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's a nice way for a lot of people to stay connected to him. And Livestrong has done such a good job of building such a, an army of volunteers and mentors across uh, the globe, really. And so I think Twitter, he's used it very effectively for a way to stay personally connected with those folks. And right. sometimes you probably hear things on there uh, that you don't want to. And sometimes mm -hmm. you're, you know, you learn something new. So 
Well, he's doing something right because he has uh, a million seven hundred thousand more followers than I do. So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, we've done it again, folks. We've come to the end of another riveting Aww, twenty minutes. So I know it's so sad. It just comes so quickly. But Rachel, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate you sharing your insights, and we do recommend people check out your book. So tell us a little bit about where we can find you, where people can find you online, and can find the book. Absolutely. They can go to the book website is bandingtogetherforacause.com. Um, and my uh, personal or corporate website is armbrewsterconsulting.com. So they can go to either site and you can buy the book from both websites as well. It'll, there's a link there that takes you over to Amazon um, or you can find them at any of your major retailers online as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And we'll add that into our show notes. Now, and- uh, Rachel, I, I, I know one time I had um, I had teased you about this, too, about you being more active on Twitter because you yeah. have so much to say. I mean, is your Twitter handle something you want to share here? Sure, definitely. It's um, R Armbruster, and uh, I, I try to I try not to fill it with a lot of uh, information about my workout routine or, or silly things my kids say, but I uh, I do feel like every once in a while I pass along a, a quote that I find motivating or um, a link to something that inspires me, and, and I hope that it does the same for those that are following me. Yeah, very awesome. good. Well, I'm glad you shared that. And Birthday Boy, where can people find you? Well, of course, they can find me on my blog, SelfishGiving.com, and Minute to Minute on Twitter, at Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can they find you? I also join you on Twitter, at Megan Strand, and I tweet for the Cause Marketing Forum, at TweetCMF. And I also blog regularly at CauseUpdate.com. And you can find Cause Talk Radio and all of the other RashPixel.tv shows on iTunes, as well as Stitcher Smart Radio. So on behalf of Joe and Rachel and myself, thank you so much for joining us today for Cause Talk Radio. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.